All right, Acts chapter 25. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to try to cover some ground because technically there's no division between 25 and 26. So let's see how far we go. Okay, you guys good with that? Cool, okay. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm up here, so you know, you're, you might have to be good with it. Okay, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation uh, just because I, I, I appreciate the way it words some of this stuff. But uh, it'll be new, new Living Translation up here. Oh, by the way, this is Caesarea. Uh, what a beautiful city. What a beautiful little place, right? I've been there a few times. Um, this is the backdrop to where we're reading from today. This is where Paul would have been. Like, come on. I mean, look at that. The Mediterranean Sea, it's right there. That's all ruins and stuff. Well, that amphitheater is still standing. But um, so just to create a good visual in your brain, this is where we're at today, okay? So transport yourself there, right? No, don't get weird. Um, just like, that's it. Like, coastal town. Um, this, is where they, this is where some of this stuff is going to happen, all right? Verse 1, three days after Festus arrived in Caesarea to take over his new responsibilities, he left for Jerusalem, where the leading priests and other Jewish leaders met with him and made their accusations against Paul. Pause there, okay? Because from 24 to 25, two years have passed, okay? You have a new leader, right? A newly elected official. The previous guy, Felix, was, um, he's a procrastinator. He was a procrastinator. Just known for his procrastination. He wasn't a good leader at all. Uh, he was one of, like, the only slave to be uh, promoted to such a high position in the Roman government. Uh, but he was, he was not a man of good character. Uh, he did not last long at all. And he was always putting off stuff. We'll, we'll do that tomorrow. We'll do that tomorrow. And, and just always putting off stuff. Well, that eventually caught up with him along with his bad character. Here's the thing with leaders. You may not like them or anything. Bad character, it will catch up with them. It will catch up with them, okay? So just understand that. Just know that. We see it all throughout scriptures. Felix, not a good dude. And his time, he's going to get fired. And then they're going to promote Festus, who's the total opposite of Felix. Festus is like a take charge kind of a guy. He's, and he pro, he's seemingly so seems to be more of a man of character, certainly than, um, than uh, Felix was, okay? So Two years have passed. Now Festus is on the scene. He's the, ruling, he's the guy in charge of, of this region, all right? And he goes up to Jerusalem, and after two years, the religious leaders are like, hey, so we need to deal with Paul. Paul's been under house arrest in Caesarea for two years. You talk about holding a grudge. Like, get over it. <laughs> Move on. The dude, he's imprisoned. He's, he's in prison. He will be headed to Rome. They don't know this yet, but he's locked up. And as soon as Festus, the newly elected official, shows up in Jerusalem, the religious leaders are like, okay, so we need to talk about Paul. We need to talk about Paul. That's like, who? What are you talking about? Oh, that guy that's locked up? Why? Why do we need to talk about this guy? But they still have this they had this plot. They were going to murder Paul. They took an oath, okay? They basically p placed a curse upon themselves if they did not, you know, follow through with the assassination of the Apostle Paul. They weren't able to do that because the Lord intervened by way of Paul's nephew and then speaking to the, to the captain of the guard, so to speak, and they, they ushered Paul out of the city in the middle of the night with 400 and some odd soldiers, okay? Two years later, this is where we find ourselves. Verse 3 says, They asked Festus a favor to transfer Paul to Jerusalem. Their plan was to waylay and kill him. 
right? They're plotting to, to kind of just ambush him. But Festus replied that Paul was in Caesarea and he himself would be returning there soon. So he said, those of you in authority can return with me. If Paul has done any, anything wrong, you can make your accusations there. So again, another trial and there's no, there's no, there's no like, no evidence of anything done wrong. There's nothing. And even after two years of them stewing on this, they're still not going to be able to come up with any good, solid accusations. There's no evidence. There's nothing. And even Festus is like, look, man, um, he wants them on his side. He wants these religious leaders on his side. Okay. He's being political. He wants, he wants to gain their advantage and their trust and all that good stuff. But he's like, no, 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 why don't you just, go? I'm going back to Caesarea, why don't you guys just go with, you know, go with me to Caesarea and we'll do an official hearing uh, and you can argue your case there. They've already done that. They, they already did that. And the guy before him, Felix, was like, there's nothing wrong, this guy didn't do anything wrong. So he wanted to do a favor for the Jews and he left Paul in prison for the two years. Now Festus is like, well, why don't you guys just come back, Caesarea, We'll do a little, a hearing there. So verse six, eight or 10 days later, he returned to Caesarea. And on the following day, Paul's trial began. On Paul's arrival to court, the Jewish leaders from Jerusalem gathered around and made many serious accusations they couldn't prove. Okay? I don't care how many accusations you can come up with. If, if they can't be substantiated, it doesn't matter. Well, he did this. Well, where's your proof? Well, we don't have it. Okay, out. Well, then, no, but then he did this. Well, where's your proof? Where's your witnesses? We don't have any. Okay, well, then we throw that argument out as well. I've seen Judge Judy enough. I know how it works. You do too, right? Not by choice. My wife loves that show. I can't stand it, but whatever. Um, now it's like ingrained in me, and I see trials and hearings, and all, that's all I see, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. Um, lots of serious accusations. They but they couldn't, they couldn't back them up. There's no proof. There's nothing. It's just baseless. Paul, verse 8, denied the charges. I'm not guilty. He said, I've committed no crime against the Jewish laws or the temple or the Roman government on all three, because they, they kept coming in with these three different areas. He, he broke the law concerning the Jewish, the Jewish laws and then against the temple and then against the Roman government, and he has proven Innocent, innocent, innocent on all three. Then Festus, wanting to please the Jews, asked him, are you willing to go to Jerusalem? Asked Paul, are you willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there? Right? Which is a weird, but again, it's, it's this political thing. That's all it is. There's no logic. There's no common sense. There's none of that stuff. Because why in the world would you do this? You just heard the arguments. There's no evidence. Why are you wasting your time? Well, because we're playing politics. And I need their support. So I'll do and say anything to get their support. So Paul, all right, as a Roman citizen, are you willing to go to Jerusalem? Paul says, I don't think so. Because I don't know if you know this, but I escaped Jerusalem because they were trying to kill me there. So no, I will not go to Jerusalem. Festus has to ask Paul this question. He can't demand this of Paul. As a Roman citizen, he cannot, because Paul's not done no wrong. He's an innocent man standing before the leading official. 
he can't be forced to, to go to Jerusalem. And Paul knows his rights. He's a well-educated man. And when it's time to play that card, you play the card. You know your rights. When it's time to play the card, play the card. But you don't have to play it all the time. Know, know the scenario, know, what, know the temperature of the room, so to speak, and play the card when you need to play the card. Most people don't even know what cards they have in their hand. That's a sad thing. If you've got certain religious rights and freedoms, you should know what those are. Know what they are. So that when it comes time, because to, hear me out, Christians, the day will come. The day will come for Christians to be just like Paul, the Apostle Paul. When are you going to throw down the card? When will you lay down the card? There's nothing wrong with standing for the rights that have been given to you as a citizen. There is nothing wrong with that at all. Okay? Hear me out. Nothing at all. What I appreciate about the Apostle Paul is that he wasn't walking around and demanding those rights everywhere he went. He knew when and where. He knew when and where. And, and I can tell you, there, there will come a day, and I believe it probably is a lot you know, sooner than what we think or realize, where you're going to need to know. If you don't know what your rights are, can I encourage you to go and do a history lesson and read up on what your rights are? Because they're still your rights. Nothing's changed. You can still hold fast to those things. As a citizen, you're an American citizen, I'm assuming. You have certain rights that have been given to you. So know what they are, number one, and then know when to stand for those things. But also know what hill you're going to choose to fight and die on. Because they're not all worth it. Okay? They're not all worth it. All right? So be educated. Paul, he's just a classic example of this. He was a well-educated man who knew, like, no way, I'm a Roman citizen. I was born a Roman citizen. So I know I get certain rights and privileges in a Roman-controlled environment. So, yes, I'm going to appeal to those rights. And he had every right to do it. And he's not wrong for doing this. He's not like a nationalist or anything like that. He's just a guy who knows, like, man, you can't do this to me. This is illegal what you're doing. Festus knows this as well. That's why he has to ask Paul, hey, are you willing to go to Jerusalem? Paul's like, I don't think so. Are you crazy? Did you, you know that these guys are, they're lying in ambush. They are waiting to kill me. He's like, no. Paul says, um, he replies, no. Uh, this is the official Roman court, so I ought to be tried right here. You know very well I am not guilty. If I have done something worthy of death, I don't refuse to die. But, <laughs> but if I'm innocent, neither you nor anyone else has the right to turn me over to these men to kill me. I appeal to Caesar. As a Roman citizen, he had the right to do this. Now, if he, was, if he was being accused of murder, he could not appeal to Caesar. If he was accused of some great crime, he, he loses that right. He forfeits that right. But because he's an innocent man, and Festus knows he's an innocent man, Paul says, no, 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 I'm done with the nonsense. I'm tired of playing these games. 
I appeal to Caesar. And Festus knows, and he's going to say it, to Caesar you go. I can't stand in the way of that. You have the right to go to Caesar. It's your birthright to go to Caesar. So, okay. Paul's like, dude, I'm not, he's like, how do you not see that these guys, they're sharpening their tools right now. Like, they're drooling, they're salivating over this opportunity to take me out. How do you not see this? Of course I'm not going to Jerusalem. I, take me to Caesar. Part of this, too, is, is, you know, Paul's being reminded and standing upon not even just rights that were given to him, but he's standing firm upon what Jesus has told him. And Jesus told him, you're going to go to Rome. You're going to go to Rome. And so Paul's like, all right, punch my ticket because I'm going. I'm going to go to Rome. If I go that way, they're going to kill me. But I'm going to go to Rome knowing full well he more than likely would, would end up losing his life there. Now, I'm, you can't say dogmatically that he knew his head was going to be removed from his body and all that stuff, but I think Paul had this understanding that the finish line was not too far away. And so if I'm going to go, I'm going to Rome. I'm going to appeal to Caesar. Festus con, uh, conferred with his advisors and then replied, very well, you have appealed to Caesar, and to Caesar you shall go. Now, he can't just send Paul to Caesar with no charges, right? He can't, as a newly elected official, he can't send this, this guy, Paul, who is a Roman citizen, he can't just send him to stand before Caesar for no reason, right? Because maybe there's some fanboys out there and they're like, I really love Caesar, I just want to meet him. And they're like, so I'm going to appeal to you. He, that doesn't, it doesn't work like that. You have, there has to be a reason, but there's no reason. So there's a man who lives within this region. His name is Agrippa, King Agrippa. Um, you think your family's messed up? Just read the Bible, okay? Just read the Bible. Do a little history on some of these people, and you're like, oh, my family's not that bad. Um, they're not, they're not, that's not, they're not this bad. But King Agrippa, verse 13, a few days later, King Agrippa arrived with his sister Bernice, Okay. Uh, to pay their respects to Festus. This is what they would do. They would, they're going to pay their respects because, every, you know, everybody's doing the thing. They're schmoozing each other, right? It's like, oh, now you're the new leader, so I need to get to know you really well so that, because, you know, I help you, you help me, and this is just how, this is how it works. But so you got King Agrippa, who is, he comes from, he's, you know, of the family of the Herods. He's actually the last Herod. He'd be Herod II, okay? Um, Herod I uh, was a bad guy. Um, he killed James. He had James put to death. Um, he had Peter imprisoned. Um, and then you follow back, whether you read this guy or that guy, either, it's either his great uncle or his grandfather, one of the two, um, beheaded John. But his great-grandfather, which we would know probably more famously, was the guy who tried to kill Jesus as a baby. He was murdering infants. He was having infants murdered so he could try to kill this threat of a new king. This is his family tree. So he's very familiar with Jewish customs. He's, he's well-read. He's a well-educated man as well. He shows up, and it's fitting that he shows up at this moment in time because Festus needs some advice because he's like, this guy just appealed to, to Caesar, but I can't just send him there. I need to figure something out. 
So verse 14, during their, their stay for several days or up several days, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. There's a prisoner here, he told him, whose case was left for me by Felix. Thanks, Felix. Thanks for procrastinating, okay? Anytime we ever procrastinate, usually somebody has to pick up the slack, right? And this is a classic example of that where he's like, dude, Felix, why didn't you just handle your business? But okay, he's like, so I inherited this problem. When I was in Jerusalem, the leading priests and other Jewish leaders pressed charges against him and asked me to sentence him. Of course, I quickly pointed out to them that the Roman law does not convict people without a trial. They are given an opportunity to defend themselves face-to-face with their accusers. Verse 17, when they came here for the trial, I called the case the very next day and ordered Paul brought in. But the accusations made against him weren't all what I expected. It was something about their religion and about someone called Jesus. Like he has no clue, right? He's no clue. He has no clue. But Agrippa does. It's about some guy named Jesus who died, but whom Paul insists is alive. I was perplexed as to, as to how to conduct the, an investigation of this kind. And I asked him whether he would be willing to stand uh, trial on these charges in Jerusalem. But Paul appealed to the emperor. So I ordered him back to jail until I could arrange to send him to Caesar. I'd like to hear... The man myself, Agrippa said. And Festus replied, you shall tomorrow. So he's like, listen, Agrippa. He's like, man, I got this problem. So there's this guy. His name's Paul, okay? The Jews hate this guy. They, they want him dealt with because he keeps talking about this guy named Jesus who some, supposedly had died, but now Paul is, is adamant or is insistent on the fact that this dead guy, Jesus, is now alive. And I don't know what to do with this. Agrippa is, King Agrippa would be very well uh, familiar with the story of Jesus, okay? Festus is like, he's like, I just moved here, and I don't know what's going on down here, but some guy died and came back to life. Like, can you explain to me what's going on here? Because I don't know how to, like, how do I write this down for the emperor? But it caught Agrippa's attention to where he's like, I want to hear I want to hear his case. He can't do anything. Agrippa, I don't care he has king by his name. It doesn't mean anything. Okay, please understand. It doesn't mean really anything at all. He has no, he, he has no real say in this at all. All he can do is offer some advice and give some clarity. That's all. But he's like, yeah, I'd like to hear him out. So they call for Paul. Verse 23. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice. Oh, by the way, Bernice is his sister half-sister, uh, and it's, it, does it, if it sounds shady, it is, okay? Because history says that they were probably more than just brother and sister, and that's gross, okay? You think your family's messed up? Just read the Bible. You're like, oh, man, my goodness. This is how corrupt it was back then. She and Bernice, and she's connected to some other well-known people from the Bible, um, but his half-sister, they live together. They're not married, but they live together and all this stuff, and she's going to leave him for somebody else. It's like a soap opera. You're like, what in the world? But this is who Paul is standing before. Just so you know, you have Festus, who seems to be a well-respected man, okay? There's not a lot on him in that sense of like, 
you know, he's not like a Felix or anything like that. And he's certainly not like an Agrippa who's, you know, living with his sister. And I don't care if she's a half-sister, living with his sister. These are the people, this is Paul's audience. This is his audience. And if you could stand before anybody famous, who would you pick? If you could like stand before one person and share the gospel with one person, who would you pick, right? Just think about that. You don't have to answer, okay? But, it, but this is like, as the Lord is, I believe the Lord is kind of guiding, directing Paul all along this journey. Should he have ever gone down to Jerusalem? I don't know. He did. Jesus told him he was going to. He told him also what was going to happen. But he says he's going to get him to Rome. And all along the journey, the Lord is, the Lord is bringing an audience in front of Paul. And these are people that Paul would have, he would have loved to have spoken for, before anyways. You're telling me I get a chance to speak before a ruling official? Yeah, I'll take that. What are you going to tell him? I'm going to tell him about Jesus. That's it. That's it. I don't, you know, yeah, sure. I mean, it'd be cool. You kind of get to know somebody and all that. More importantly than anything, I need you to know about Jesus. And that's why Paul even wants to go to Rome. He gets to stand before the emperor. He wants the opportunity to stand before the main guy. For what reason? To tell him about Jesus. Period. Period. So here's his audience. It's King Agrippa, it's Bernice, and it's Festus, and it's all these other leaders of this region, so to speak, right there. Verse 23, the next day Agrippa and Bernice arrived at the auditorium with great pomp, accompanied by military officers and prominent men of the city. Festus ordered that Paul be brought in. So as they're showing up, maybe to this little coliseum, I mean, there's like a, a parade. I mean, there's, there's all sorts. I mean, it's just roll out the red carpet because these are the celebrities of the day. These are. These are the who's who, especially within Jerusalem, well, within Israel, okay? And even, you know, some of their fame even spreads into Roman regions. But roll out the red carpet because the important people have just shown up right? And they want you to know how important they are, okay, by all the noise that they make, you know, when they show up on the scene, okay? So there they are, and Paul, this faithful servant of God, bond servant of Jesus, is led out in front of them, shackled up, and here's his moment. And then this is why 25 and 26 just go together, okay? This is why it's, I've given you the heads up earlier, Okay? Um, and that's why we're kind of cruising through this, because I want to get to the heart of the message here, right? So there they are. They bring Paul in. Festus said, uh, said King Agrippa and all, all present, this is the man whose death is demanded by both the local Jews and those in Jerusalem. But in my opinion, he has done nothing worthy of, he's done nothing worthy of death. However, he appealed his case to the emperor or to Caesar, and I decided to send him. But what shall I write to Caesar? For there is no real charge against him. So I have brought him before all of you, or y'all, okay, especially you, King Agrippa, so that after we examine him, I might have something to write. So he's like, this needs to be a team effort because I don't know what to do. I admire a man who's in a leadership position who knows how to ask for help. That's a good thing. That's a really good thing. He could have like tried to like figure it out on his own or come up with this or that, but this 
this speaks to Festus and I think his leadership somewhat ability. Again, I'm not too familiar with this guy historically, um, but I can say this. When I see leaders who are willing to ask people for help, I respect that. I respect that. Because I've been a leader for a long time, and most of my time in leadership has been trying to do stuff out of my own strength. And that's a horrible idea. I praise God when the day came where he woke me up and says, dude, why, why do I surround you with people and you don't let them use their gifts or serve in a certain capacity? Why are you trying to do it all on your own? That's not smart. I'm like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're right. That's a good idea, God. I can't believe it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Here's Festus. He's like, I don't know how to solve this problem, so I'm going to bring all you guys together and maybe you guys can help me figure out what to write down. But before you get to that, Paul's, the, the floor is handed over to the Apostle Paul. He says, I, you know, I don't know what to write to him. What should I write to the emperor? For there's no real charge against him. So I brought him before you all, especially you, King Agrippa, so that after we examine him, I might have something to write. For it doesn't seem reasonable to send a prisoner to the emperor without specifying the charges against him. <laughs> So verse 1 to 26, then Agrippa said to Paul, you may speak in your defense. So Paul, with a gesture of his hand, starting his defense, this is like a, a, a display of respect for his, his hearers, okay? It says, verse 2, I am fortunate, King Agrippa, that you are the one hearing my defense against all these accusations made by the Jewish leaders. For I know you are an expert on Jewish customs and controversies. Now please listen to me patiently. So he's, he's showing them respect. Okay? The issue may come up is, is he worthy of respect? Paul is showing him the respect of the leadership position. Of the leadership position. You remember when Paul stood before the you know, the high priest in Jerusalem, and, uh, and he, he commanded the officer next to him to, to strike him in the mouth. Literally, he, he punched Paul in the mouth. And Paul told that high priest, he's like, God will strike you, you whitewashed tomb, or you whitewashed wall, right? And they're like, you can't talk to the high priest like that. And Paul, Paul said, look, I'm sorry. Um, I didn't know he's a high priest. And that's probably a legitimate thing. He probably didn't know. But he also could have been speaking of the fact that he's like, well, I don't know who this guy is. I respect the position of high priest, but I don't really respect you because of your character. Because a real high priest wouldn't have had me struck illegally. So he's like, you might be high priest, but you're not my high priest. And you can show respect that way too. I can respect the, the position but it doesn't mean that I have to totally respect the person, okay? So that's what we were dealing with last week with Paul before the high priest. And now he's like, here's King Agrippa. This guy is not, he's, he's, not a good, he's not a good guy at all. What Paul is doing is he's showing respect for the leadership that he has in the sense of the position. And the fact that he hasn't, he's, been, he's been given an audience with these guys, and he knows this guy. He knows that he's, he, he's well-versed within Jewish history and the customs and the controversies and all that stuff, okay? Controversies could be hinting at, you know, maybe this whole issue with Jesus. Could have been, all right? Uh, but Paul's like, he, he's acknowledging, I know who I'm talking to. Verse 4, as the Jewish leaders are well aware, 
I was given a thorough, thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my own people in Jerusalem. If they would admit it, they know I have, that I've been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of our religion. If they just admit it, if they'd own it, I was one of them. I was one of them. I wasn't just one of them. I was head of the class. I was better than them at this religious thing. I was, I was the top dog. I was the guy. Gamaliel was my teacher. Everybody knows who Gamaliel is. Everybody knew who he was. Paul's like, that was my mentor. He was my, my mentor. I was a Pharisee among all Pharisees. If they would own that, if they'd admit that to you, see, they left that out, didn't they? When they made their accusations, they didn't tell you about that part, did they? They didn't tell you my story, did they? No, because they don't want you to know my story. But I'm here to tell you my story. This is who I am. This is where I came from. This is why I, I always remind you guys, know your story. Share your story. Share your, nobody knows your story better than you do. What's your testimony? What is your story? Where did you come from? What has God brought you through? How did he rescue you? When did you meet him? How has your life changed since meeting him? What's your story? So here we get like the third time of Paul sharing his testimony. He says, they're not going to tell you this stuff, but I will tell you this. Verse 6, now I'm on trial because I'm looking forward to the fulfillment of God's promise made to our ancestors. Okay, so this is speaking to some prophecies that were made uh, in the, you know, with the, the prophets of old. There were over 300 prophecies concerning the Messiah, all right? Um, verse 7, in fact, that is why the 12 tribes of Israel worship God night and day. I want to say day and night, but it's night and day. And they share the same hope I have. Yet, O king, they say it is wrong for me to have this hope. Why does it seem incredible to any of you that God can raise the dead? So again, he knows who he's talking to. This is Agrippa. He's well-versed in, in the, the law and also in the prophets. And the prophets are always telling us that there was a Messiah who was going to be showing up. But the Old Testament also tells us that this Messiah would die and would raise again. And Paul's saying is like, why is it, why does it seem so incredible that God can raise dead people to life? Agrippa, you know the stories. I mean, come on, if, if, if God can't do that, then he's not God. He can't bring, we read the Old Testament. There were people who were brought back to life. You can even read the New Testament. There were people who were brought back. To, you remember this guy named Lazarus? You remember that dude? Yeah, he was dead to where he stinketh, okay? Dead, dead. And Jesus called his name, and he came out of the tomb. There are many other stories, and Paul's just appealing to Agrippa and what he's studied and what he's learned, and he's like, look, this is the hope we have. He is the hope we have. Jesus is the hope we have. And yes, he died. But yes, he is alive, just like the scriptures said. 
Why does this surprise us that God can do anything? Why are we surprised when God does the miraculous? <laughs> I mean, I get it. Look, I get it because I've been, I've been in certain situations in all of my life where it's just like I've given up hope even on God. There's just no way. Lord, I'm sorry to tell you this, but there's no way. And he's like, really? I didn't know that. I didn't know I was limited. I didn't know my capabilities only go so far. I thought it was God. No, I'm here to tell you, God, you're not God. Because there's no way this can work. I've lived that. I've said those types of things in my 20 plus years of walking with Jesus. To my shame, but I'll be honest, I'll own it. I've had many times where I've just given up all hope. Hope still remains. It's permanently written on my arm, and I'm like, don't want to see that today. Not, not today. I don't know. I don't know. It, it still remains because he's the God of the impossible. He's a God who, who deals in resurrections all the time. Can I tell you this? He's not done raising dead things back to life. It happened for me when I was 19 years old. I was dead. He rose me to new life. And I hope that that's your story too. You were dead. You were dead in your sins, your trespasses, dead. Dead. And if you are born again, that's because he raised you up to a new life. He's not done resurrecting things. Please understand that. You need to hold on to that because I know some of you guys are worried about family members and friends and co-workers and all that. He's not done resurrecting. He's not. He's all about new creation. He's all about it. Here's Paul. He's like, I just don't, I don't get why we're always so surprised that God does the impossible. I don't know why it seems so hard for us to believe that he raises people from the dead. Verse 9 he goes on to say, I used to believe that I had to do everything I could to oppose the followers of Jesus of Nazareth. Authorized by the leading priests, the same guys, probably, more than likely, some of them are still hanging around, the same guys who commissioned me to go and lock up these Christians, I was commissioned by these guys. He says, basically he's saying, I was zealous to persecute the church. There was none more zealous than me. No one more passionate about squashing this movement than me. Authorized by the leading priest, I caused many of the believers in Jerusalem to be sent to prison. I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Agrippa, this is who I, this is who I was. This is who I was. Many times I had them whipped in the synagogues to try to get them to curse or blaspheme or speak against Christ. I was so violently opposed to them that I even hounded them in distant cities of foreign lands. Here's the guy that God used to write most of the New Testament. This is amazing. This is amazing. 
there's, listen, when it comes to like sharing your, you know, sharing the gospel with people and all that, um, I'm going to encounter, you may encounter people who are much smarter than me, much smarter than me. And they have brilliant arguments and all that good stuff. I try to study those arguments and learn that. So, you know, at least I kind of know what's coming to a certain extent. Um, but they're well beyond my mental capacity, so to speak. Um, but the one thing that I know when it comes to like, is this thing real? Well, I can tell you who I was, and I can tell you who I am now. And the common thing there is Jesus. You can't take that away from me. You can't outthink me in that realm. I don't care what evidence you can bring to the table about discrediting, the, discrediting this and discrediting that. What I know factually, and I stand with the Apostle Paul, is like, this is who I was, but this is who I am. And it's all because of Jesus. And you can't speak against that. You can't take that from me. How do you get the enemy of the church, the enemy, now we know the enemy is Satan, but in the human terms and all that good stuff, the one who was gunning for the church more aggressively than anybody else, how do you get, go from that to being used by God, the Holy Spirit speaking through you to pen almost, the, almost I mean, a good percentage of the New Testament? Only Jesus. Only Jesus. So he's sharing this with Agrippa. This is a powerful testimony. I mean, it, it, it's going to move his audience for sure. He says, I, I was on my way to, verses, verse 12, I was on my way to, to such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priests. About noon, your majesty, a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shone down on me and my companions. We all fell down. I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me, now we remember this, okay, he's persecuting Jesus. Now, was it directed towards the church? Yes, but when you mess with the church, you mess with Jesus. You hate, him, you hate the church? Don't tell me you love him. I'm sorry, but the math doesn't add up. Because I've read 1 John, and that doesn't work, okay? And Paul's like, He's walking, he's cruising to Damascus, and Jesus shows up, and he's like, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and Paul includes uh, another little thing that Jesus said to him that he didn't elaborate on before. It is hard for you to fight against my will. Or why are you kicking against the goads? Like, why are you fighting against me? Why are you fighting against my will? Paul, it's time to surrender. It's time for all this to be done away with. It's time for us to, to move on. Saul, I'm going to change your name to Paul. I got a plan for you. You're so bitter. You're so angry. It's time for me to melt that heart of yours because I got a, I got a plan for you. All right? So I know you're going there. You're still going to get to where you think you're going, but it's not going to be the same ever again. And I love it when the Lord can step into my life and step into your life and say, no, no. I know you think this is what you want to do, 
but this is what I want you to do. Now, don't kick against the goads. Don't, don't be a stubborn mule, so to speak. Don't fight against it. This is my will for you, Paul. This is, where I want, this is what I have for you. This is where I want you to go and what I want you to do. Now it's time to line up. Step in line. Quit fighting against me. Quit persecuting me. So it's time, for, it's time to redirect that passion of yours to something, to something else. Paul gets converted, gets his scales on his eyes and all that good stuff, has to go and see Ananias. Ananias places his hand on him, says, you know, hey, the Lord sent me. You were sent here by the priest to arrest me, but God sent me here to, to put, place my hand on you and to tell you that the Lord is taking away this blindness from you and you're the Lord's and he's got a, he's got a plan for you. Isn't, that's a beautiful thing. We talked about that the last time. Paul was going to arrest Ananias. And God sends Ananias to minister to the Apostle Paul. It's amazing when God does these things, okay? Those are God's stories. Who once maybe was your enemy, the Lord can turn into your brother or your sister in the Lord. And then they may have been attacking you. But don't be surprised when the Lord calls on you to go and minister to them in their time of need. And will you do that? Because Ananias, he had a choice to make. He's like, um, Lord, like he's got, a war- he's got warrants for my arrest. I'm sure if he flipped through the papers, his name would have been on one of those, so to speak. It was an act of faith for Ananias to, to obey the Lord and to go and minister to Paul at that moment. Again, how do you explain that? You don't, that you can't, that's Jesus. And here's Paul, he's like, man, I'm walking down this road. I got my other guys. They all heard a voice, but they didn't know what, it was, what was being said. But I heard it. He was speaking to me. Why are you fighting against me? I'm fighting against my will. Now it's time to start fighting for me in that sense. Paul says, verse 15, Who are you, sir? I asked. The Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now stand up, for I have appeared to you to to appoint you as my servant and my witness. You are to tell the world about this experience and about other times I will, and, and about other times I will appear to you. And I will protect you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. Now this is where he lost the crowd in Jerusalem and they tried to murder him. He mentioned Gentiles and they lost their minds. So now he's speaking to Agrippa and he's like, man, he's sending me to the Gentiles. Verse 18, to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from, pow- from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place amongst, among God's people who are set apart by me in faith. This is a beautiful thing and I praise Jesus that this happened because I am a Gentile. I've done AncestryDNA.com. I'm not even anywhere near that region. And I praise God that, man, that the gospel from the beginning was meant for Jew and Gentile. From the beginning. This isn't like some plan B. Like God's like, oh man, I should have thought about this beforehand, right? He doesn't work like that. This is from the beginning. But Paul, remember, he's this Pharisee. He's this guy. And he would have thought just like the other Pharisees where it's like the Gentiles, no way. No way. Those guys aren't even worthy of anything 
I mean, we'll let them, if they want to convert to Judaism, then they can do that, but they're going to stay on the outer courts. They don't get the same access we get. It's very separated, very separated. To be one of us, oh, I don't think so. Oh, I don't think so. There was a great dislike towards the Gentiles back then. And Paul's like, he called me to the Gentiles. I would have preferred to go to the Jews because those are my brothers. But he called me to the Gentiles. So I will go wherever he calls me to go, and I will minister to whomever he calls me to minister to. I'm not in charge. He was done kicking against the goats. He was done kicking and fighting against God's will. God says, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. And Paul says, okay, I'll go. Okay, I go. I'll go. Smartest move he made. Smartest move you'll ever make in your life. Hear him out. If he's telling you to go and minister here and do this or that, smartest thing you could ever do is to listen to him and obey him. It will set you free. It will set you free. It may not be your plan. It might not be what you envisioned. It may not be what you hoped and prayed for for so long. Maybe not right now. That doesn't mean that that's never going to come back around or that opportunity won't be there down the road. But what we have is today. All we have is today. We do not have tomorrow. You are not promised tomorrow. I am not promised tomorrow. We need to quit living as though tomorrow is a right. It's a privilege. It's a blessing from God. You do not have tomorrow. Make your plans, be smart, do all that stuff. You have to, but obey today. Today, you obey. Today, you surrender to his will and what he has for you. Today, don't worry about tomorrow, Jesus would say. Tomorrow has enough concerns of its own. It doesn't need you to add to them. Don't worry about it. Today, this is the day the Lord has made. This is the day. So let's rejoice in it, right? So here's Paul, meets Jesus, gets saved, is commissioned. He goes from being commissioned by the, the Pharisees and the leading priests and all that stuff to go against the church. Now Jesus commissions, commissions him, the great commission, to go and make disciples. And he, he dispels it out, man, being, bringing people from the darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. And he's speaking, and he is hitting home with Agrippa. I can tell you this right now. Agrippa's hearing all this stuff, and he's like, oh, ah, yeah, I think he's talking to me. Like, but he is. And he's like, no, you need to come from the darkness into the light. You need to come from underneath the power of Satan to the power of God. This is the same. This is the salvation story for you and I. Right? It's for all of us. I once was dark, in darkness, living, reveling in darkness, and the Lord brought me into the light. I once was under the power and control of Satan. I, my allegiance was to him. If you're not for me, you're against me. That's what the word says. It's pretty clear on it. And you're like, well, I didn't choose to be on that side. And you're like, well, you were born into it, okay? If you don't like it, make sure you're on his side. Okay, because there's only two teams. I don't, I don't know what this, there's no gray area. There's only two teams. It's God's team and it's Satan's team, okay? And you're on one of them. So you'd be smart to figure out which side you're playing for. 
okay? Because if you're on Satan's team, you want to get over to the winning team as soon as possible because time's running out. The clock is ticking, okay? From the power of Satan to God, receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. Verse 19, and so King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to that vision from heaven. I preached first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and then all throughout Judea and also to the Gentiles that all must turn from their sins and to God and prove that they have changed uh, they have changed by the good things that they do. So there should be some works. There should be some evidence that you are a believer. You, you love Jesus? Sweet. Please act like it. Please live like it. There should be a distinction in your life from pre-Jesus to post-Jesus, okay? There should be. This is what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, I, I went around, man. I went Jerusalem, Judea, to the other ends of the world, and I'm teaching Gentiles that they can that to turn from your sins and, and prove by, by the way that you live your life now, your walk, evidenced by good things that they do. Verse 21, some Jews arrested me in the temple for preaching this, and they tried to kill me. But God protected me so that I am still alive today to tell these facts to everyone from the least to the greatest. I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen that the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead. That's preeminence is what that's speaking to, of like the utmost importance, okay? They'd be the first to rise from the dead as a light to the Jews and the Gentiles alike. Suddenly, suddenly, Festus shouts out. He's like, Paul, dude, you've lost your mind. You're crazy. You're crazy. He interrupts him right there. He's like, oh, whoa, 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 Paul, Paul, Paul. All this studying has caused you to go crazy. You're insane. Too much study has made you crazy. But Paul replied, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. I am speaking sober truth. And King Agrippa knows about these things. I speak frankly, for I'm sure these events are all familiar to him. For they were not done in a corner. Or secretly. King Agrippa. And Paul's like, man, he just, it's that thing. You know, where you're, you're at a message or something, and that preacher or pastor just starts looking at you. And you feel like, well, why is he looking at me? You know, like, oh my goodness, this is, I'm feeling, this is awkward, right? Now, I try to maintain eye contact with as many of you as possible. If I say something at one time and I happen to be looking at you, take no offense. I don't know your business. I've had people talk to me about this before, and I'm like, what are you talking about? Um, but not Paul. Paul's like, narrows in. I'll look at the camera, okay, because that one's a little safer. Um, he's like, right in, King Agrippa. He singles this guy out amongst everybody. Do you believe the prophets? I mean, you could hear probably a pin drop throughout that entire stadium. You know about them. You study them. Do you believe the prophets? Why the prophets? Because the prophets testify of the Messiah. Because the prophets were telling us for thousands of years that this was going to happen. And Jesus fulfilled all those prophecies. In astronomical, you know, this, like, it's so crazy. The, you know, the probability of him fulfilling even eight of those prophecies is mind-blowing, right? I remember, um, what's his name? That guy. Um, 
the really smart guy, uh, Missler, uh, he says, you fill up this entire state of Texas two feet deep with like half dollars, put an X on one of them, throw it into the great state of Texas, and the probability of Jesus fulfilling eight prophecies is the same as you walking around the state of Texas and reaching in and pulling out that one coin that has the X on it. Are you kidding me? Eight prophecies, and he's had over 300 fulfilled. Come on, do the math. You're surprised that God can raise people from the dead. Interesting. You believe the prophets. Do you believe the prophets? Paul says, I know you do. Whoa, it's getting personal. It's like, oh man, you could just feel the tension. Agrippa interrupts him. Do you think you can make me a Christian so quickly? Paul's reply is beautiful. Whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience might become the same as I am, except for these chains. Yeah, I don't care when it happens. I want you to become a Christian. Yeah, I do. I do. My goal is for you to become a Christian. I love that. Boldness. Wait, are you trying to get me saved? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. And you have every right to reply that way to people. Oh, are you trying to get me to become a Christian? Yes, I am. Why? Because I care about your soul. Because it's heaven and hell. So yes, I am guilty. Guilty. And you should say the same thing. Verse 30, then the king, the governor, Bernice, and all the others stood and left. This was it. As they talked over it, they agreed, this man hasn't done anything worthy of death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, he could be set free if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. And some people look at that and think like, oh, that's such a big mistake by the Apostle Paul. I don't think it was. I don't think it was. He could have been set free. And if he had been set free, who's to say that the Jews wouldn't have been waiting for him to murder him as he's walking away? He was going to Rome because Jesus told him he was going to take him to Rome. He was going to stand before Caesar because Jesus told him he was going to stand before Caesar. And if this was the way to get there, then Paul was going to get there. All expense trip paid by the Roman government to get to Rome to stand before Caesar. I'll take it. Now, it wasn't the best. It's not like a cruise line that this guy went on. We'll see in a little bit. But, uh, but he's like, Paul... And, Paul, knowing if he had known about that conversation, we don't know if he actually did or not, would have said, I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about it. Because I'm, I'm still following Jesus. I'm still running my race. I'm still going to run my race. I'm just trusting in the Lord. I'm not kicking against the goats anymore. I'm, I'm just trusting in him and his will. I will keep my eyes on him. I will run this race until he brings me to the finish line until he gets me across the finish line. That's it. Man, that's it. So good job. We covered two chapters. I went a little long. My bad. Um, but you get it. I mean, it, it had to go together, and I think you guys see that. And I think you, we, we just need to be reminded of that, man, that you got a story. You got a testimony. The Lord's done something in your life. I know he has. And maybe if he hasn't, then maybe today's the day where that starts. I don't know. But you've got a story. 
And I don't care who you stand before. I don't care who you stand before, what audience you get from the least to the greatest, it does not matter. What will your message be? May it be this one thing, Jesus and him crucified. He's the hope of all, he's the hope of eternity. He's my hope, my living hope, my living hope. Do I want you to be saved? You better believe it. You better believe it because I care about you because I care about you. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this day. I, I thank you so much that you came to this earth and that you were the perfect lamb of God, the spotless, sinless lamb of God, and you died on that cross for my sins. And you rose from the grave three days later, Lord. There's no denying that. There's no denying it at all. I'm so grateful that you would be willing to stand in my place. I didn't deserve you to do that for me, Lord. I certainly didn't earn it, but you stood in my place. You stood in our place and you drank from that cup of wrath for us. And I thank you for that, Lord Jesus. I pray for anybody in here, maybe they're a Saul and they need to be turned into an apostle Paul, but they're just kicking. They're just kicking against your will, Lord. Maybe today is the day to surrender. Maybe today is the start of that new adventure, that new journey. So I pray for anybody in this room right now, if that's you, you've been wrestling, you've just been fighting and fighting and fighting, well, just give up today to the best thing that will ever happen to you. I thank you, Lord, that you don't even have to call the best and the most qualified and the strongest and all that stuff, Lord. It's not what you're looking for. Lord, you're just looking for people who want to receive this free gift of salvation. You can qualify us. You can give us what we need when we need it, Lord. So I'm grateful, Lord, that you are willing to step into this mess and save us. I do pray for anybody in the room, if, if you are on the fence, the only thing you need to do is just say, Jesus, I, I am a sinner and I'm tired of fighting against you. I, I received that free gift of salvation. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose from the grave three days later. I believe that you did that for me. So Lord, have my heart, have my life. Change me from a Saul to a Paul. That's all you have to pray. That's it. It's as simple as that. It's as beautiful as that. So I pray for anybody in this room, just pray that prayer. And if that is you, then please don't leave this building without letting somebody know. Because we need to know how we can encourage you and, and be there for you. I, I pray for believers in this room who are struggling right now, Lord. They're just weary and they're tired. I pray that you would, Lord, that you would come alongside them and encourage them and lift them up. Maybe they need some rest. Then, Lord, just like that good shepherd from Psalm 23, lead them beside the still waters. Help us to know when to, when to stop, Lord, when just to rest. But we thank you for loving us. I thank you for the Apostle Paul. I thank you for his testimony. I thank you for the testimonies represented in this room. May we all have an opportunity this week to share our story with someone. And I would say that that's our homework, Lord, to share our story with somebody this week. So we thank you, Jesus. We love you so much. Thank you for loving us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.